He Shoots, He Draws is sponsored by the Westcott Rapid Box Switch in association with JP Distribution. Isn't it time you made the switch? Do it today at www.fjwestcott.com backslash switch. Hi, folks. I'm Moose Peterson, and you're listening to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast. Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design, with your hosts, Glenn Dewis and Dave Clayton. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of He Shoots, He Draws with your co-hosts, me, Dave Clayton, and the other half, Glenn Dewis. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. The other half. The other half. <laughs> <laughs> the HS the HS of the HSHD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've just had um we've just actually wrapped up uh interview, episode number thirty-two, and I have to say it was another one of those where you sit there going, Wow. Yeah, this was one of the ones that we've kind of had on that must speak to list for a while now, but it was with Moose Peterson. Uh Moose obviously based out in the States. We got to know Moose, was it about eight or so years ago now? I think it was, when we yeah. first started going out to America teaching at places like Photoshop World and Moose was always one of the big names and I don't think it's fair to say I was quite nervous when I first got to know Moose but yeah lucky to say now that he is a friend but he's a uh, wildlife photographer incredible wildlife photographer landscape photographer and now the thing I'm absolutely loving that he's doing because it links in with my interest in World War 2 is the uh, aviation photography photographing all the old war birds yeah and Moose you know comes with great distinction he's not just any old photographer which you'll find out by listening to this episode Moose is Nikon ambassador. He's a Lexar Elite photographer. He's won the John Muir Conservation Award. Uh, he works with the Endangered Species Recovery Program, which he talks about in this episode. Uh, he's part of Epson's Finish Strong campaign. He's a filmographer. He's an author. He's a teacher. He's and he doesn't do anything by half. <laughs> no, I actually felt quite lazy. <laughs> I <after>. did. <laughs> talking to moose so uh yeah so we hope you enjoy it it's a it's going to be a great hour um same as last week really i mean we, we're trying to get great interviews each week for you and we do appreciate you listening and this is no exception this you know we've enjoyed we enjoy these interviews and we hope you enjoy listening to them so glenn I think we ought to crack on, really. People yeah. aren't here to listen to, to us at the moment. <laughs> yeah, so we'll take the usual format. However, before I say it, I just want to give people a heads up. Keep an ear out for an ep- We've got an advert. We've not had an advert, a commercial break for a while now. There is one within this episode. Yes. So on that bombshell, Moose, who are you? You know, that's a, a complicated and simple answer uh, because... Uh, I'm just a photographer, and I like to say I'm a simple mountain boy. But within that, there is wrapped up all these things that I want to achieve, not only for myself, but hopefully for uh, helping society as a whole, which includes photographers. Okay. All right. Okay. He, sound, pretty he, sounds like, he sounds like an okay guy. <laughs> yeah, like well, okay that's because you're not recording video. all right well listen then okay so that's a quick overview there listen i mean obviously we've known each other me you and dave have known each other for a few years now is it eight 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 years i think we met like that i don't know it's it's a great honor to know you guys you know when sharon and i first came to london years ago you guys were so gracious you you trained in and we had a marvelous meal with mushy peas and and (laughs) ale and you know that was just it's like 
yeah, these guys are okay. So we yeah. we, we uh, treasure our friendship with you guys for sure. Oh, likewise. Well, we couldn't have messed it up too badly because obviously we're here years later talking. So that's a, that's a good sign. I'll take that as a positive. Oh, you're but just Moose, warped. But, I don't know. <laughs> but but Moose, one thing I, I, me and Dave have talked about this is obviously we, we kind of got to know you through uh, both of us being at Photoshop World through the Kelby one and previously called NAPP. That's how we got to know you. I and mean, yeah, we've hung out with friends and stuff like that. But when you think about it, do we really know you? And that's what I want to ask you is to give us who who was the Moose or who is Moose prior to when we met you. So, you know, what? You know, how did you get started in photography? I always said we'd never ask that, but how did you get started? Well, just so you know, most people don't really know me. That's uh, that's just, I just part of the way I am. I've always, because so much of my life is public, a lot of my life is kept private um, for a lot of reasons. But how did I get into photography? If we go way back, uh, when I was quite young, seven or eight, my cousin, who, uh, a real brilliant guy, he uh, invented this thing called GPS. And uh, he, at the time, had just picked up a brand new Nikon F, and uh, he's a very much a photographer as well. My whole family's always been shutter buggers. And he had a, a, a brand new chrome barrel Nikkor 200 F4. And we went out to the front porch, and across the valley from the house was a a Union 76 gas station, which back in the day had this big orange ball that would rotate in the sky. And I saw that in the viewfinder, and I was hooked. Uh, it was just seeing the light of that revolving ball at night in a 200-millimeter lens, the idea of, of, of carving out a piece of the world and then kind of telling that story. It was That was it. And so I've shot forever and I just happen to be the only person in my family to actually take photography uh quote unquote into a paying occupation. So I mean as when I look at you as a photographer then, so that's obviously how you kind of got started into it. But I see that you do in, in fact no, let me just say I remember when we were at Photoshop World, I always remember you being the guy that I knew who did wildlife. You photographed animals or critters as you would call them. Yep. Critters. But then one thing that always stuck in my mind was your landscape work. And I think you know where I'm going from here because at the end, remember at the end of Photoshop World, they'd always do that closing ceremony thing. You would you would get up on stage and I would always get myself ready for this because you knew how it <laughs> affected me because you would show these these landscape pictures, but not only were they powerful, the music you'd put them put with them as well. And that would always get me and my eyes would be sweating and, and you knew that. I think every year you've kind of played to that. But, but the reason I mention that is, I've mentioned critters, wildlife, then I mentioned landscapes. We're also hopefully going to talk about your aviation stuff as well. Now, you could not get three areas of photography that are so completely different. Do you know what I mean? You've got your aviation, a skill in itself, landscape, which I've tried to do and, and I'm still trying to do just for myself and it's difficult. And then you've got the wildlife, very, very different. So how on earth have you become somebody who can do all three of those? Uh, He's got a nice camera. You know, I have a nice camera. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so we have to hark back to when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, most let's say you, you we all go off to college. We rent that apartment. And you walk in and there's that one light in the top in the middle of the ceiling that just blazes on and, and lights the whole place. I never... When I grew up, never had that. My house, um, for whatever reason is, 
The house was lit for a reason, for a mood. The living room had one set of lighting, the kitchen another, the family room another. So the house itself talked about life through lighting, and that always you know, sunk in. I had my oldest sister, a very successful commercial artist, showed how with you know so many different mediums you could create another world from the world we're in. So all that came into it. So when I became a photographer, quote-unquote, you know, business-wise, I first wanted to be a, a landscape photographer. But making money from that, especially on a consistent basis, just physically wasn't possible. Um, not that Critters was any more secure, but I figure if I'm going to go into a totally unsecure kind of medium, I'll follow my heart, which was Critters. So... The evolution was not the subject, but the light falling on that subject. And it's what's always pushed me. So no matter, you know, when I first, I went to a place called Brooks Institute of Photography. And my course of study was illustration advertising. And I started out doing fashion work. Um, so the, the whole, what is the subject, when I ask people what's the subject, that comes from my own personal beginning in chasing light, and then how do I want to talk about that light? And wildlife is the thing that I still am pulled to most often when it comes to how I want to talk about the light that falls upon us. And if you think about it, um, light does so much more. Uh, one of my favorite things, so most people don't realize that um, up until the very last moment, I always thought I was going to be a biologist, a researcher. That was where life was pushing me until a couple of things happened. I realized, yeah, that's, you know, I had a good friend, a biologist, said, yeah, Moose, you can't go into biology. You can't deal with the politics because um, I've always been kind of a, a bull in a china shop, however you want to look at that. <laughs> and uh, so with all the things that were pushing and pulling, you know, the um, – Light and critters, just as the way that, you know, my heart was able to, to express the wonders I see in this world. I mean, most people don't realize, don't, and they take it for granted, which is human nature, but we have all the sunlight around us, right? And trees soak up that sun. That's what they do. That's, and then they, if you have a fire, you get the warmth from that wood. What is that? That's just that sunlight being regenerated again and repurposed kind of sums up my photography. I'm trying to take it all in and then repurpose it and send it back out. So Moose, talking about when you started, because the one thing I obviously, I know where you live, it's ideal for, for landscapes and nature. Now, when you're talking about when you started, where was this? Was your location kind of a driving force behind what you could photograph? Because you're talking about light, but where are you from? Where, where was this? Because if you said in the middle of New York City, I'd be really impressed. But if you said, you know, the equivalent of the outback in California, it makes more sense. Uh, actually, so I'm a fourth generation Californian. Uh, and where I was born and raised was basically uh, the Los Angeles basin. My father was, um, was a pretty amazing guy. And he made it a point, and I was the last of four kids, that I was to experience as much as he could, you know, put in front of me. So I would have the opportunity to decide for myself what direction I want to take with life. So we had a – my folks had a place down in, in San Diego on Mission Bay, and then they had a place where I live now, the Mammoth Lakes in the Sierra. 
So even though the house was in Southern California, I was not there much, which isn't much different from today. I'm not in my house much as it is. But so California, especially when I was a kid, was quite a bit different than you would see now. Um, I could literally just go down the end of the street and there was a, a creek and, and birds and trees and, and it was just it was a lot more uh, open area than it is uh, now. And that loss of all that stuff as I was like, you know, from the childhood of those places I like to go and, and play, for lack of better terms, um, especially and also for it affected my wife Sharon is why we probably got so involved in the the wilds places and, and spaces here in California and the critters to call them home and why it's it has been such a mission um, in everything we've done for the last forty years, trying to hold on to what you could say was our childhood. Now, obviously, we've got the. the we, you'll probably find that me and Dave. This is what we do. We dive in and out because I'll suddenly think of something. Oh, I remember asking something about that. But you've obviously we've got the landscape, we've got the critters, the wildlife. Now, one thing I'm obviously fascinated in because folks who who know what I do will know I've got that interest in World War Two and stuff like that. So obviously, I'm kind of desperate to start talking to you a little bit more about your your warbirds thing because that is that's that is quite something. Can you can you explain to folks who don't know what what it is, what you're doing, what what is this warbirds project that you're you seem to have you started and it seems to be continuing. Can I go back in time a little bit to tell a story? Please oh, do. Oh yes, please. Yeah, please yeah. do. All right, so like I just mentioned, Sharon and I have been working with California's threatened and endangered critters. Those guys that are, you know, about to disappear. We have seven species in our files that are now extinct. And that happened on our watch. Um, and that's our wild heritage that we were bequeathed. And I think it's our responsibility to, at the very least, pass it on to the next generation. So a decade ago, literally, uh, the Nikon D3 came out. And the D3, uh, for those who don't know, was the first full-frame digital camera Nikon came out and had some, some at that time, new revolutionary autofocus uh, means of working. At the same time that came out, Nikon became a sponsor for the Reno Air Races, which are just uh, three hours up the road from us, which Sharon and I had said for eons we need to go up to because both of our parents um, were in the aviation world. Uh, Sharon's dad worked on like the B-1 bomber and a bunch of other things. My dad uh, in World War II in Korea. Uh, my uncle did all the software for the Apollo spacecraft. So Sharon and I really grew up in that industry, um, which was Southern California. And going to air shows, all that stuff, you know, it's what we did as kids. So when this opportunity came up with Nikon, I said, hey, uh, if you can get me in and uh, get me access, I'll volunteer and sit there and help people with the new camera. So I went up there, and, and photographing planes in flight is like a little bit only different from birds because it's faster and a whole lot noisier and really a whole lot sexier. You know, when you get buzzed by a Mustang at 50 feet, even though I've been buzzed by lots of birds, it's not <laughs> the same sensation. So I got hooked. And uh, lucky for me, I had some good friends, and uh, my good friend Fly Daddy took me to an event, which is called Oshkosh, EAA Air Adventure, and it was right after that, basically. And at that event, I, I met the people behind aviation, which is really the heart of why we love aviation, and we got involved uh, really quickly and easily with World War II veterans, 
And uh, they're not any real different than the critters we work with in that they're all living history and our teeny species are disappearing and our World War II vets are disappearing. So it wasn't really that big a stretch for Sharon and I to say, hey, you know, aviation is kind of like in the family, you know, genome. It's like we've been there. Um, some of these people knew our fathers and uncles and uh, godfathers and, and friends of the family and stuff. So it was pretty easy to uh, just to, to you say, move into it. And success in aviation for me was was really fast and simple because getting a sharp image of something moving, panning, uh, is what I do almost daily. So I instantly got the poster for the Reader Air Races, and then I was hired to do my first uh, air-to-air, and I got $5,000 for 18 minutes of my time. And as I told tell people, there's not a rock or a rabbit on the planet that's going to pay me $5,000 for 18 minutes of my time. So <laughs> being a good American and quite a capitalistic person, it was like, okay, I think everything is saying you should follow his aviation. And we have. And it's been an incredible delight, and it's a great journey. We had Stacey Pearsall uh, on an episode a short while back. and Obviously, she does all the veterans thing. So, obviously, you're getting to meet veterans, and I totally agree with you, the fact that they're, they are getting fewer and fewer and fewer because that's, you know, that's what I'm looking to photograph, but to try to get hold of people. There was actually last night, full enough, this is kind of related. I watched a, there's a, I don't know if you can get it, but there's a great DVD. I'm hoping you can get it. If not, I'll bring it with us so the next time we meet, you can have it. And it's called First Light. And it's a story of a guy called Jeffrey Wellham, who was the youngest pilot, Spitfire pilot, in the Battle of Britain. And he was 18. And wow. it is an amazing, amazing DVD. And the actual DVD, part of it is acting with somebody playing him, and part of it is documentary with him doing the talking. And unfortunately, Jeffrey's he he died earlier this year, so we've now lost him. He was mid nineties, and recently we've we've had Mary Ellis, who was a uh, you know the female who was you know she piloted I don't know how many Spitfires and numerous other aircraft around the country for pilots during World War Two. So, it, I'm guessing I guess and I kind of know the answer here, Moose, but with something like this because it is such an an important part that we we it's so important that we capture all this. It kind of feels like it's something you have to do. It's not something you kind of like you're pushing yourself to do. It's, it almost becomes like something I have to do this. Well, that's really what got uh, Sharon and I into uh, what we do today when it comes to the the outreach to other photographers. We realized when we first started working with California's teeny species that we couldn't do it all. There, there is simply not enough time. We needed a, what we call an army of photographers out there capturing these stories and then, of course, the most important part, sharing them to hopefully make a difference in the entire society of this amazing place we call, you know, the planet Earth and all of us that live in it. And it's the same with aviation. There's, when we started out 10 years ago, they they said there's about 3,000 World War II vets passing away each day. And now it's down to about 1,200 passing away each day. Um and it's 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 hard for Sharon and I, especially because some of these vets, we really become attached to, and we we do interviews with them, and then, you know, we we, it's just the human life. You know, as we get older, we slow down, and then you know, in general terms, we tend to go into a home, and then we pass away, and 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 to see that for some of these people that, uh, you know, we've met and talked with, 
it's uh, that's the hard part of it. But at least we have their stories. So now the challenge is get all those stories out. And then, of course, not just getting them out, but getting people to actually sit down and not just watch them, but actually listen from the lessons that these people are so willing to share. Um, and that's, to us, the, big, the biggest frustration is people, you know, be it from critters or landscape or veterans, getting their attention to stop and listen and then and then hopefully apply some of these important lessons. I mean, that's just major frustration that, that drives me uh, crazy sometimes. From the from the veterans that you've spoken to, because obviously I know I, I've seen because you did a, like a, a film documentary type of thing with the guys from Kelby One, the Warbirds, when there was the documentary. I mean, it, really, really powerful stuff. But the guys that you've spoken to, not just maybe on that one, but so, guys that you've spoken to since then. Are there any things that you kind of, is there anything that sticks in your head as being, yeah, I, I really remember speaking to him or her because of this. This really did hit home a little bit. Is there anything that's ever really kind of like, wow, made really moved you? There are, I, I could spend hours telling you stories. Uh, Barry, who was a Canadian pilot, uh, Spitfire pilot in, in over there. And, you know, Barry was an amazing guy and he uh, and his partner in Spitfire's and they sat in their Spitfire all day waiting for, you know, something to come up the coast. This is after the Battle of Britain. And uh, two junkers uh, came in, and they launched, and the Germans turned around, and Spitfire's going after them over the channel. And there's a point, of, you know, where the, you know, they have X amount of gas. You don't want to go down the North Sea because, you know, at that point in time, the rescue boats were primitive of, of anything. So you went down yet. You know, about 20 minutes before hypothermia would take you, and then you'd be lost. And that was a very tragic uh, loss of life. So Barry and his wingman are going after him, and his wingman, right at the last moment, said, okay, and he shot, and he actually flamed his plane. And then Barry shot, saw a puff of smoke um, from the, the plane he was chasing, but it didn't go down. So uh, I met Barry a number of years ago, and uh, the year before, there's a group in France that goes around and looks for sites where allies went down. They try to recover the plane and any remains to give him a, a, a burial. Uh, the French are, very, you know, there's a the, they, the World War II made a big difference and an impression on them. So they still honor these gentlemen, and they thought they found Barry's plane because later on uh, he was flying over the continent and went down and uh, walked away. But they thought he found his plane. Well, it turned out it was not his plane, but it was in all the papers. Well, after this event, this guy from Germany contacted Barry and said, Hey, Barry, I got something I need to return to you from World War II. And Barry said, I'm, uh, I, I have no idea who you are. And so he said, Well, next time you come over, we need to get together. And they met, and the gentleman was a German. His brother was the pilot in which that last shot that caused a puff of smoke, that was his brother. And his brother had taken that 20-millimeter uh, canyon round out of his plane and put on a plaque. And so his, his, the gentleman's now passed away, but his brother was alive, and he returned that to Barry. What? Wow. So, you know, we have um, so many of these gentlemen out there with these kind of stories that just boggle my mind. And, and I'm sitting there, I'm trying, I'm supposed to, like, you know, be kind of a, a, a fly on the wall as they talk to me and just let them tell their story. 
But my jaw is constantly hot, like hitting the jaw on the ground. Yeah, and, yeah. He, and my boys who do all the editing are sitting there going, Dad, can you stop saying wow? I mean, you say wow all the time. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but how can I hear the story just be a, a rock, you know, not be like uh, – was, we just spent uh, last – two weeks ago, um, two days with, with Lieutenant Colonel Dick Cole, um, who's a dear friend, a great guy. For those who don't know uh, Dick, uh, he's a, he'll be 103 next month, 103. And he's the last remaining uh, Doolittle Raider who's still with us. And he happened to be right seat, and his pilot was Doolittle himself. And uh, he was in our Warbirds and the Men Who Flew Him documentary that we did. And we're doing another documentary right now, and Dick flew a C-47 uh, which uh, in England they call him a Dak or a Dakota. And so he was in Burma after the raids and flying the hump, which means he took off and flew over the Himalayas and back down into Burma. I mean, it, it killed 900 guys. It was not, you know, pilots. It was not like a, a, an easy ride. Anyway, so he, he's getting his check ride in a C-47, which people call a Goonie Bird. And the guy who was giving this check ride said, hey, and this is his check ride. It's, you know, first time going out in it. And the, and the guy in the left seat says, hey, have you ever done a loop in a, in a C-47? And Dick said, no. So the guy says, let's do one. So then <laughs> they do a loop in a C-47. And then the guy said to Dick, well, think you could do it? So Dick did a loop in a C-47. So... The veteran stories go from the amazing to the tragic to the almost farcical, um, <laughs> and, and I love it. I love history. I love these guys. I love the stories, and uh, the fact that, that the three of us can have this conversation right now in a free world is because of these guys, and people need to remember that. We, we've spoken, obviously, the times we've chatted, because we've got that kind of common link now with this World War II interest. We've spoken many times about that. Mm-hmm. But, but obviously, for me now then, looking at what your photography is, here you are, and I can just see, obviously, we've got the privilege of looking at you on the screen. I can see how you're reacting to the things you're talking about here. You're so into this. This uh, this is obviously a project that's never going to end for you. Uh, it's always something you're going to be doing. Now, stepping outside of the emotional attachment to the people, what has having this project done for you regards to maybe your photography, the importance of it? What 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 are you getting from doing this 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 whole project well uh, for one thing we we are uh, when i say are uh, we are it's peterson and son productions so it's a family thing so I, I get to spend more time with my sons brett and jake which is you know we all have separate lives they we don't live in the same states but we're constantly coming together to work on projects so that's one of the great benefits that we get to do all that and we share this commonality and this this passion but no matter what I'm, I'm shooting, uh, critters or landscapes or, or aviation, and just so people know, landscapes is not my favorite thing to do. Um, the, uh, what I get out of it is the fact that I'm, I'm constantly pushing my skills and craftsmanship as a, as a photographer. It, it, you know, I've been doing it for 40 years, and I, and I still don't think I've taken anywhere close to the perfect or great photograph. The, and the ones I keep missing – just push me further into to taking more. And, you know, when it comes to aviation, at first people go, yeah, it's a plane. 
And I love talking to some people who go, you know, I'm not into planes. But then I look at your photographs and it's like, wow, those are, those are, yeah, those are just that. There's not a word form. Um, and that's that compliment when it comes or just people looking at it and smiling and saying that just looked like a great moment. The fact that it was a, an aircraft is, is not really, you know, part of that. It's just that they love that moment. That is what keeps pushing me forward. And it gets me through those other days where there's, there's the, the BS of business or the BS of being, you know, active on the social scene. You know, those are what get me through those, those uh, valleys to get back up to the peaks. David, I don't know if you agree here, but this seems like a good segue into that main question we ask folks. Because you just said the BS. So you're right. I'm going to go. I'm going to just dive in. In fact, before I ask you that, let's just take a commercial break because we've not had a commercial break for a while. We're just going to play a commercial break. Hi, I'm Tippy McTipface from the Scraping the Barrel for Photoshop Tips for Tips Sake YouTube channel, the channel that will take your Photoshop skills to the next level. Each week, I'll possibly commit to posting a tutorial you'll have definitely seen before. But because I gave it a fancy name, you clicked on it anyway. But hey, it's all about quantity, not quality, that will take you to the... Next level. This week, I have a tip for every Photoshop user that you simply cannot live without. Possibly. This tip will definitely take you to the... So don't forget to click the bell, ring the subscribe button, bookmark the URL, add to your favorites, send a WhatsApp, share it on MySpace. It's your support that'll help us take the Scraping the Barrel for Photoshop Tips for Tips Sake channel to the... So, are you ready for this amazing tip you've probably, possibly already seen before? Let's go. Go to your Programs folder. Find the Photoshop icon and double-click to start Photoshop. And there you have it. Amazing, huh? That's how you open Photoshop. Come back next week when I'll share how to do exactly the same with Lightroom. This is Tippy McTipface from the Scraping the Barrel Photoshop Tips for Tips Sake YouTube channel. Helping you to get to the... So, Moose, right, what I was going to ask you before we played the advert there was... we, we, we know that, already um, married, so I appreciate the thought. <laughs> we're going to go for the loves and loathe. Let's get this done, right? I want to know, what do you love or like a lot about this whole industry? What is it about it that you really love? I think the thing that is the most amazing part is the fact that uh, photographers can come together and, and no matter where they're from, what camera brand they have, we can all go out and see the exact same thing, yet come back with a totally different story to share. And I think that um, that miracle is something that people just take for granted too much. But it's just, I love the fact that we can do that. And that, as as a community, if we were to really focus on it, can make such a powerful change 
in so many parts of, of our lives and for people around the world. And I love that 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 promise and that possibility. That's just way cool. I love that. Okay, I like that. That's that's good. We'll give you that one. Okay, so what about the loathes then? What don't you like? What do you? And this can be anything: photography, business, you name it. What's the first thing that comes into your head that said, with everything you do, Moose? What don't you like? To be honest with you, I think the one that probably the heart of everything is people never do their homework. So they see a clip, they see a sentence on something, and they take it for face value and say, that must be it. And they stop there. They're, it's like, what happened to your curiosity? What happened to you know, finding out the answers for yourself rather than just accepting whatever somebody says as being you know, carved in stone? Uh, best example is I'll say something, and, and I often will pause because I know if I say you know, my favorite f-stop is 1.4, then photographers stop, and that's what they shoot at. And it's not like, wait, 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 why Why does he like 1.4? What lens is he shooting 1.4? What's the subject? What's the light? Do they go, oh, no, Moose likes 1.4, so forget the rest of them. And it's like, no, that's not how this works. You know, it's – and that drives me nuts that I have to sit there and think about it. Do you think as well saying about that is something we've mentioned is because uh, in even in this industry of photography because everything is so instant because people want the instant success the instant shot people don't spend time on their craft you know there's taking a shot of a plane flying over you and there's hanging out the back of an aeroplane to get the expression of the pilot of a Spitfire behind you. You know, you have to put time, effort, finance, you know, family um, to, to progress and do all these things. And I think these days as a sitting back and watching the industry in front of me now with the equipment we've got is we've got the best equipment we've ever had. And yet people don't seem to want to spend the time necessarily hone in the craft they want the instant quick shot that they can get on instagram and get a hundred thousand likes it's you know when i watch some of your stuff and you know i like play you know you say i like planes i'm shooting planes but then when i see your progression of you know you are hanging out the back of a plane strapped in and sharon's going has he got life insurance <laughs> but it's, i think it shows i think it shows in the photography when you do dedicate yourself to your craft and you put the time and effort in and it's very easy now to see those people who who do that and the quality of work, obviously. Well, you give me one second. I'll actually, I'll come back to that point, but I have to go a little bit of a round circle to get there. So back to that thing about likes, right, and the anonymity of giving comments and trolls and the rest of that stuff. Had a guy on Facebook uh, a couple days ago who for the first time actually shared some of his images via prints. He said it was a scary moment in his life because he's hanging it all out there, right? He's putting out and, – and when, we, when you take a photograph, if you're doing it, at least as far as I am concerned, you're doing it correctly, you're not just putting an f-stop and shutter speed in there. You're putting your heart and soul, right? You're making an emotional, emotional commitment and a statement – about your feelings at that time. It's kind of like when you were, you know, when you were 15 years old and you asked that first girl out and you wanted to kiss her and you're like, oh God, please don't pull away. Please don't pull away, right? Okay, so it's like I want to kiss you. Well, that photograph, you know, it's that same emotional commitment that we're putting out there. It's like, oh, please like it. Please like it. Don't say it sucks. 
So when photographers are taking pictures and they do things like expose to the right and the rest of stuff, it's like, yeah, but what about you? What about you are you putting in that photograph that's really what's going to make it unique? We all could buy the same camera or lens, but we're all so different. And that, that little bit we insert of ourselves, that's the part that makes it scary. So when you put it out there and, and then you don't have a thick skin and you don't realize that there's trolls and there's people who are really insecure who have to say something to make themselves feel better, then it's like, ow, it really hurt to put that photograph out there and put myself on the line. And it's a vicious circle that if, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say anything, we probably could move photography further, faster, because we would put more of ourselves into it than a camera brand or an f-stop or a technique. And we would probably not only be better effective communicators, but could probably change the world a little bit faster in a more positive way. That's just my own personal belief. No, no. And obviously that there is, it's all about the, I guess you're kind of alluding to the education side of things there as well. Now you, you do, you do workshops. I do workshops. You teach. I teach. You, uh, uh, Dave actually told me this. You got, is it 25 classes on Kelby one, Dave? Did Tw- you say? 25 classes on Kelby one and just produced his 29th book. And I have work more shy. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. did you say 29th book? Yes. Yeah. Sir. What? Okay. All right. Well, we're gonna to have to talk about this, Moose. The workshops. I know that you do. You do do teaching. What in what in what kind of in what form do they take? Well, the um, so my workshops aren't really for the people trying to learn what an f-stop or shutter speed is. It's more for people, and I have a, a what we call a core group, a really great group of, of, of about thirty people who who out the year join us, and they're trying to push their photography. Um beyond just the the loves and the likes. They're actually, they want to sit there and, and whatever it is about my photography, it sparks something in them that they want to take an aspect of that into their photography. Uh, 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 for example, we just had in our office the uh, last couple of weeks for four of these people, a very advanced printing workshop. So we had Epson, you know, I had the Epson 600, 800, and, and 7,000 printers going. And we were making prints but we're not making prints just to make a pretty picture for the wall. It's to understand how the a clean black can radically change all other colors when you didn't even touch those other colors. You only touch the color of black. Um, how you could a 24 by 30 will really tell you if your image is sharp or not sharp. And how to use printing not just a means of sharing your world, but also pushing your photography forward. So my workshops are... Uh, as one friend would say, and he, he's also a minister, it's kind of like a, a revival meeting for the pixel. So it, that my workshops, you know, they teach biology, they teach photography, they teach all those things as much as how you could tap yourself, put yourself in that photograph. Sorry, you know, just to jump in there. You mentioned printing there. Uh-huh. That, that I'm kind of, I'm a huge advocate of printing. There seems to be a, a lot of a lot of talk about printing lately. I don't know if it's sort of kind of coming back round now, and people have been made more <laughs> aware of it. I mean, certainly if you think about, you know, a good few weeks ago now, all of us were out at Photoshop World. What did Scott Kelby talk about? The print. Okay, so obviously it's a big thing. How how important is the print to you? Regards well, just generally, how how important is printing? What does printing mean to you? What does it do for you? So printing. So. Um 
To say I print a lot is an understatement. There's about 100 24 by 30s to go out of the office every month, and I don't know how many smaller ones. Uh, so prints are constantly leaving here. Printing I've been doing since I was 12 years old. So printing is something that allows me to, to, to do a lot of things. First and foremost is double-check my own basic techniques. Are my techniques solid? Is my cameras work solid? Am I putting out a quality product? And that quality product is essential to my clients. You know, I, I have now three 28-foot by 18-foot prints hanging on a guy's wall. And that's, you know. How? Off so, wall? Off wall? What are planes, they? Planes, planes, of course. <laughs> off moose. <laughs> <laughs> really, right? I mean, it'd be like a horror movie. No, no. There's sexy, sexy, sexy plane uh, photographs. Um, you got to ask yourself, who's got walls, you know, that are could take a 28-foot by 18-foot yeah. print? Well, those are hangers, man. Those are plane hangers. Um, but it's cool to see your plane, your, your photograph print delivered on a flatbed truck, right? Wow. That's like, wow. that was cool, you know? So the, the, the print, um, I print a lot for a lot of reasons. First and foremost, I give prints away like you wouldn't believe. Um, we send them to uh, a lot of fundraisers for people who are doing fundraisers. They sell the prints. They make money. That's great. You know, I send prints to a lot of the people in the aviation world as a thank you. You know, they're spending sometimes thousands of dollars on putting planes up, right? How can I say thank you? Well, you can shake your hand. You can give them a hug and say thank you. And some people send an a, a image on an email. But, you know, if you put a 24 by 30 print in their hands, as I was told long ago by a good friend of mine, when anybody has your art on their wall, they'll never forget you. And in, in all aspects you want to think about, from a personal relationship to a business relationship, and in between, when you can say thank you in that form, it's just good for your soul, right? And, and, and there's just – when I, I love you know, the, the things I get back from people when I send these prints are absolutely just, just light me up. You know, and, and uh, so the last reason I like to give out prints is because I get such satisfaction from all the love that comes back from the people who get them. Now, you, you do your own printing. I, I use a lab at the moment. Um, why, why, I guess you're, you're going to advocate do your own printing, right? Okay, so it depends on how you want to take it. Now, so I have uh, metal prints done by Image Wizards. I have my acrylic prints done by True Life. Those go out to those people. And then I do all my own printing. And if I want to give away so many prints, just basic business, it's a write-off. Okay, so if you're in business, write-offs is a good thing. Uh, the other thing is that whenever something new comes out, um, for example, I'm going to put an image up on Instagram after we get done talking. It was taken in February of 2000 with a, a Nikon D1. That's after the camera just came out. And I saw these, this 24 by 30 print come off my printer, so I knew everything went into it. I go, okay, it's going to work. And most people at this point have forgotten, but there was only one wildlife digital photography photographer in the beginning of this whole thing. That was me. I was the first to embrace it as a wildlife photographer worldwide. I was the one who, who was selling it to clients and making money from it. I was it in the beginning. 
Um, so printing is what told me after printing for so many years doing uh, – uh, 35 millimeter and doing the dupes and four by five dupes and enlarging those and going through all that stuff that digital was not just another fad because if you look at the history of photography we've had one hell of a lot more fads than things that have stuck over the hundreds of years so going back to the most recent book the 29th yes you, sir. you're such a lazy you're such a lazy writer um the 29th book is the takeoff so how long did that take you to put together? Because I know you know, it's a cracking book. I've seen a copy of it. And uh, obviously, you know, to have a body of work that you can fill a book is incredible anyway. But how much fun is how much fun do you find writing? Because it is such a intense, time consuming part of what you do. How do you find the time to write 29 books? And well, I, pre- do everything I appreciate you the do? kind words uh, about takeoff. Uh, it was a work of love. So from the business side, uh, we look as books at books as strictly a glorified business card. I guess you could say, as I feel, is a, a moral obligation to share what I've been so fortunate to, to witness and to learn in the hopes that others don't spend time reinventing the wheel. They sit there and go, oh, that works. That sounds like it works. Oh, that doesn't sound stupid. And so they avoid the things that sound stupid. And the things that sound like they work, they kind of embrace them and make them their own. And that's kind of the goal for most of the books. And Takeoff, though, uh, I wanted to find another way to thank uh, so many people who uh, have been so generous with their their time and their knowledge when it came to aviation. Uh, huge number. With wildlife, one critter, one biologist, and that pretty much takes care of it. Aviation, uh, one plane could be 20 or 30 people uh, for so many different reasons, from from the, the financial part, the storage part, the, the servicing part, the flying part, the owning part. So takeoff was really as much a thank you to all those people. Uh, we have one copy. Uh, Sharon started this long ago with other things, but Sharon's got this copy, and, and to all the people who are in that book, all the pilots and plane owners, she's going around and she's getting everybody signing the book. So her copy has all their signatures, and uh, the book is – it's a little torn, and it's got some uh, soil marks because it's gone to a lot of events with, with grease and, and gasoline and stuff. And But all these pilots have sent signed these books, and they're all – it's just they're, – they're humorous. They're touching, um, and that's what makes the, the book process to us such a special thing. Yeah, it's got DNA in it. I mean, they're all touched it. They've all left their fingerprints. It's – you know, it's, it means something to you. But – 29 books most that's that's a lot of business cards well so that's 29 books since 1991 so it wasn't like done just in the last year i, I i'm i'm really I, I totally get what you mean about them being more of a um like a, a, a kind of like a business card on steroids almost aren't they they are the ultimate oh what yeah i found was I've, I've just finished my third book uh so i'm congratulations kind of like, thank you very much that's and out. i love your uh, steel book Oh, thank you very much. Um, but the thing, oh, thank you very much. Oh, shucks. I got my Peter saying saying that. Um, but the thing I, I noticed, one well, thing I noticed with books was it was really interesting when the first one came out. I had the one that called the Photoshop Workbook, and it was amazing the perception that people had. Let's say if the book was uh, it wasn't out on Monday, but when it went to 
one minute past midnight on the Tuesday when the book was released, and then you can say, oh, this is my book, I'm an author. It was amazing how people saw, they kind of, you had a completely different perception of who you were and what you were able to do. So you're right, I think a book is such a powerful thing. It is, uh, you know, we, uh, we have a really great set of neighbors around where we live, and we look out for each other, take boxes and we're gone. Uh, what all those things that in, in, in snow country, you have to do other things because of snow. And we've known these people for 20 years. And we had them over uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, just had a dinner uh, deck dessert party. And they all knew I was a photographer. And they knew I photographed wildlife because they see me, you know, snock around the property, you know, with the lens and they go, there goes moose at it again, right? <laughs> so it, it's not like, but they came in, and then I, I, I gave them. They didn't know about the books because we, we keep, a, like I said, our private life private, and we don't, like, advertise you know, where we live or what we do. And I, we gave these people, you know, neighbors for 20 years a copy of our books, and they're like, we didn't know you did books. And I said, yeah, it's my latest one. Latest one? I said, yeah, I've done <laughs> 29. Get out of here! I said, no, Really? <laughs> And so I, we gave each of them two copies of uh, two different books. And they're like, you're not kidding. I said, no. And, they, and uh, they're just, ever since then, they, we love the picture I paid, blah, blah, blah. We remember you're out in your yard taking that picture kind of thing, you know. And It's like, honey, we live next door to a rock star. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're that Moose Peterson. <laughs> that one. There's so many of us. Yes. So... Yeah, and that comes back to the to the business. Of the, and it's, it's really photography is, is so about perceptions and reality. And I don't think photographers have ever grasped that. I, I mean, I have so many little sayings I, that I put out there. I don't think people even listen to them much anymore. But photography is all about perceptions and reality, and that's just one of them. So, Moose Peterson. But by the father. way, I'm working on three more books just to put it out there. Oh, oh man, I feel so lazy. <laughs> Moose, father, husband. Uh, yes. Landscape photographer, critic photographer, plane photographer, teacher, author, and podcast host. So tell us about your podcast. Well, you know, it was uh, like a lot of things. I wish I could take credit for being my idea. I was asked to do one. And it's, um, you know, it's not so much f-stops and shutter speeds, but it's more about the best probably tool in photography, and that's the one between your ears. And I try to get people to think a little bit more and touch their their mind and their hearts a little bit and, and put more themselves into a photograph rather than the technical side. I do talk about that every so often because it has to be related. But, you know, so much of everything we do as humans, the improvement comes from within. Uh, everything else is just the, the manifestation of that improvement. So you could say my podcast is more um, a heart and soul rather than a, a camera technique one. So what next then? What's what is next in line for Moose? What's your next? Uh, obviously, there's Warbirds that's going to continue. Well, the big thing on our on our plate right now is the current documentary we're working on. Um, we just signed up to do another one starting next fall, so that puts even more pressure to get this one done. But uh, we are part of a group, a really special group of people that took a World War II vet, a C-47, and rescued it from a, a swamp in the Florida and uh, now is putting it back to Airworthy. And we're going to fly it with a whole lot of other C-47s to England next June and then fly it over the beaches of D-Day June 6, 2019. 
Then we're going to take that plane on up to the Netherlands, and then over to Germany, and then because of the plane owner, we're going to go down to Italy and see some friends in Italy, and then we're going to fly it back. So we're going to take this plane, um, and we're going to fly over, and we're doing a documentary about the entire process, which includes not just the restoration, the mechanics, but we're also doing a lot of interviews like, like I mentioned, Lieutenant Dick Cole. We just did one with Mike Tran, who who, who uh, pluffed Puff the Magic Dragon in Vietnam, which was a, a modified C-47. So it's it's a full, um, looks like we're probably going to try to do it in a 60-minute format. It'll be hard to do. Uh, as you can tell from this podcast, I'm often long-winded when it comes to storytelling. So it's always a dichotomy. You know, people go, you know, you tell really long stories, but you're a still photographer. How does that work out? It's like, <laughs> yeah, there's a few conflicts in my mind, let me tell you, okay? It's all gold. It's all gold. Moose, you threw a little nugget into the conversation there. You mentioned about flying this Dakota, as we would call it, yeah. over the cliffs, 6th of June in 2019. Obviously, that's 75 years anniversary yeah. there. Now, is that something – Can you? is there something you can tell us there? Is there a little secret you can tell us about there? Oh, no, no. Um, there is an organization, I think it's called DAX over in Normandy, I think is the uh, main marketing group that is uh, – Doing most of the, I shouldn't say a lot of the logistics as far as the gathering there at Duxford on 5 June next year. And the, at this point in time, I believe there's 57 of C 47s that will launch from Duxford and go over the beaches of Normandy on 6 June 2019. And the, the, the we're in a, a it's hard to imagine, but I'm kind of in this little rebel group um, that really uh, we're doing it strictly for the veterans. Uh, uh, we are self-funded. We're not looking for other monies, really. Even though I do have fundraisers for the documentary, it's it's a pittance to what we're, we're putting out in this whole process. And we are uh, going to fly the northern route, go up Nova Scotia, go over to Greenland, down Iceland, and over to England. And the whole thing is to tribute uh, to the, the incredible men of the uh, of World War II who jumped into Normandy uh, and and why we're here today. I would love in the future, if ever you when you're coming over this way, if you go to France uh, and to kind of go around with you in places like Aramanche and Omaha Beach, you know, I'd love to do that. That would, that would be quite something to organise that. I already have seats for you in the plane, so you're flying. <laughs> right, I'm not getting rid of this recording. This is staying there forever now. That's a contract. <laughs> but see, you have to understand. So, so all this sounds really amazing and romantic, right? But let's go through the, the realities here. So there's perceptions and the reality. So we're in a plane that flies at best 140 miles an hour. We're restoring this plane to exactly how it came out of the factory in 43. The plane we're in is 43, 49, 50. That's its serial number. The seats are metal. They got a little depression for your cheeks. There's no restroom. There's no online services. There's no inline or in-flight movies. They're just these metal seats. We're doing 149 miles an hour, right? And we're going to take nine days to get from Florida to the UK. If that's your attempt to talk me out of it, Moose, you failed. 
So the people can't see, but I saw your faces when I talked about this long flight, and we're at about, at best, 10,000 feet, right? We're not up at 36,000 where the air is smooth. We're down at 10,000 feet because these are not pressurized aircraft. So we have to, one, be able to physically hear things. So we're actually wiring the plane and you won't be able to see the wiring because we want the plane that when you walk into it look like how it came out of the factory in 43. So we can plug in our headsets so we can talk to each other. But we have to have $1,000 Bose noise reduction so we can hear each other and have our movies. Because at 140 miles an hour, you don't get very far very fast. And then you have to stop a lot for fuel. So there's a couple things. Next, a little logistic that I, that's worrying me is, so filming a documentary takes about one terabyte of space, storage space per day because video 4K eats up space really fast. One terabyte a day. We're going to be gone for 30 days. Okay, so one times 30 is 30 terabytes. Okay, where am I going to put that in a plane so no one sees those drives? where they don't get vibrated to pieces flying at 10,000 feet when the, the outside temperature can be you know anywhere from zero to maybe 10 degrees Fahrenheit. So the logistics of, of all this thing, you know, that's the reality. The perception is, dang, that's cool. Where do we sign up? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, come the... Once that once that's actually happened, we have got to get you back on here anyway to talk about that. We have to. Absolutely. It's been an honor talking with you guys. I do it any time of the week. Just ring the bell. Moose, listen, um well, what can I say? Thank you so much for your time. Uh it is an absolute pleasure knowing you. Do you know what I mean? Because I remember my first Photoshop world, obviously being aware of you at Photoshop World, there's Moose Peterson, it's like just nervous. To me, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? In fact, I remember the first time, was in Washington, that we actually had a... Me and Dave were walking, I remember. Me and Dave had done this daft video, because we used to do daft stuff. And I remember we had these Union flag uh, boxer shorts. And the first time you ever spoke to us was when me and Dave were walking up the corridor. You are coming the opposite way. And you said, hey, where's those shorts? And we're like walking away laughing, going, Moose Peterson just spoke to us. <laughs> 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 you never grow out of it. And now I'm 46 and I'm like, got Moose on the podcast. Get in there. And what's, <laughs> and what's lovely when we when we do see you is you're surrounded by your family. Yes. You're like you tra- mm. travel as a family unit and it's yes. like the, the, the Peterson smile factory. Um, I know the last Photoshop world, we, we bumped into you. Then I was talking to Kat and Brent. And I, I can't remember where I was going, but. An hour later, I'm still standing there talking to him. <laughs> I am real fortunate. I ha- we have an amazing family, and uh, Brett and Jake are my savior because they uh, they keep me uh, not only humble but they crack me up. They know Dad. They know what I'm like, and and they go, God, Dad, you look at somebody and they're instantly scared. I'm like, <laughs> I know, I'm such a frightening person. God, I eat babies. Run away from me, you know? And they go, Yeah, Dad, right. And the next minute later, they're giving me crap, so I feel like I'm two inches tall and a dork, you know. <laughs> so I can't ask for anything more. And it's so much fun working with them. And and from a business side, since they know me so well, they uh, they know 
a lot of times, not only the lens I'm going to grab for something, they know where I'm going to go stand to take the picture. So we complement each other, and we, we, we work. So we're, we're always getting a different perspective, yet they all come together homogeneously in the final product. Um, so, yeah, I'm really fortunate. And, of course, then sharing is our glue that keeps the whole thing going. Cool. Well, listen, before we go then, just for those folks who don't know, we're going to put stuff on the show notes places, but where where will or where would you want people to look for stuff that you do? Okay, so Moose uses the KISS theorem. Keep it simple, stupid. So on Twitter, you find me at Moose Peterson. On Facebook, you find me at Moose Peterson. On YouTube, you find me at Moose Peterson. Now, it gets more complicated when you go to the website. That's moosepeterson.com. The most complicated, you want to email me because I answer my emails. Most complicated is moose at moosepeterson.com. You writing that down, kids? <laughs> <laughs> right. On that note, Moose, again, thank you so much. Yeah, thank uh, you. Absolute pleasure. And we will definitely get you back on this time. My dear friends, it's been a sincere, sincere pleasure. Can't wait to do it again. Brilliant. First of many. Thank you very much. Hi and welcome back to He Sh- Oh, my voice was a little bit loud then. One, two, three. Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> three, two, one. <laughs> yeah, it worked really well.